you are now listening to the April 29th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have the Fruit of the Spirit, Sermon, and Equipping the Saints. First, let's start with the Fruit of the Spirit. Hello, this is Terry with the Fruit of the Spirit, a time in which we confess our hearts to the Lord. Today, we will continue to talk about the characteristics of the Fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. To date, we have considered love and joy. This week, we will look at the third characteristic, peace. The word shalom associated with peace in the Bible refers to serenity and calmness. But in order to understand the meaning of shalom, we should first examine what causes us not to have shalom. There are three causes not to have shalom. First is worrying or fear. Second is jealousy. And third is a false sense of peace. Worrying or fearing makes our mind unstable so we can't have peace. Jealousy acts as a barrier between God and us, causing us to lose peace with God or even with ourselves. A false sense of peace may come from false spirituality without God, and it is dangerous. God provides peace to those that have put their faith in Jesus. We gain peace when our relationship with God changes from a state of wrath to one of reconciliation through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Without being in harmony with God, you can't maintain a peaceful mindset with yourself or with others. Jesus wanted his disciples to be at peace with him. He also told his disciples that they would have trouble in the world, but they should take heart as he has overcome the world. The world constantly challenges us. However, we belong to Jesus, the perfect one. Jesus has overcome the world so that now we can be courageous. The peace from Jesus is perfect. When a follower of Jesus experiences peace through the Holy Spirit, then that believer actually brings peace to those around them. If we are at peace through the Spirit, then we end up bringing peace to our community. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will not cause trouble, you will not cause anxiety to those around you. You will instead bring peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We should obey the Spirit as it leads us to be the peacemakers, not the troublemakers in our community. Then how can we have God's peace abundantly when we live in a world full of sin? First, we need to trust God. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Those who trust in God, regardless of circumstances, will have peace from Jesus. Second, we believe in the Word. When we believe that the love of God forgave us and redeemed us from our sins, we attain peace that comes from God. Third, prayer and thanksgiving. When you pray, even in troublesome situations with worry and fear, you can overcome your anxiety and fear, and your mind may be filled with thanksgiving and peace. It is my prayer that all of us trust in God, trust in His Word, and pray to Him with thanksgiving so that we may have peace in God. 
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is, You Need Biblical Mission. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. First words and last words carry a lot of weight. So a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' very first words to his disciples in a passage, Matthew 4, 18-22, where in verse 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And as soon as his disciples heard these first words, they put a lot of weight on them. Remember, they immediately left their nets and really their lives, and they followed Jesus. Now today, I want us to think about his last words, at least according to Matthew's account, words that we say to each other each week before we leave. I'll put them up here on the screen if you don't know them, but let's say them out loud together. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those last words would change the way these guys would live forever. They would not forget this moment. On this day, as Jesus told them why they were still here on the earth to go. Oops, I've messed that up. Sorry about that. To go and make disciples of all the nations, not just in one place or among one type of people, but among all places and all types of people. The word for nations here is ethne, from which we get ethnic groups, or what we often call people groups. Jesus made it crystal clear. He was leaving them here to lead men and women in every nation, tribe, language, and group of people to know his love and to follow him as Lord. My question today for you is, How much weight do you give to these words in your life? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you see this as the reason why you are still here on this earth? Or do you think these words were just for those followers of Jesus? In other words, are you giving these words the weight they deserve in your own life. I want to show you today that to be a Christian is to live to see disciples made in all the nations. Obviously, to be a Christian fundamentally is to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe that he came to give his life so that we might have life, knowing him as Savior and Lord of our lives. And when you know him in this way, then you follow him. And what he says to do, to go and make disciples of 
all the nations. And if that's the case, if to live, to be a Christian is to live to see disciples made in all nations, then you and I need a church that's working to make disciples of all the nations. So what does it mean then to live to see disciples made in all nations, for you to do that, for you to live this week for this purpose, and for us as a church to work together for this purpose. Knowing, so I can see the thought bubbles all across the room and through the camera and other locations. We think, okay, but aren't there needs here for the gospel too, like in the green? Don't you see our city, what our country's going through? And not just our city, our country, my life. Like I'm going through this or that in my life or in my marriage or my family or my work. How can I think about living to see the gospel spread to the other side of the world? And I just want to say from the start, I get these questions. Yes, there are Massive needs for the gospel in Metro Washington, D.C. and in our country. And there are deep needs in your life, and there are deep needs in my life. And in light of that, I just want to encourage us to think. So in your life or my life with our needs and challenges and struggles in our lives and families and work, Just imagine facing all of those things without the hope and the peace and the love of Jesus. Amidst all the needs in our city where it's green, just imagine what those needs look like then in the red where there's little to no knowledge of the truth or love of Jesus. So without question, God is not calling us at any point in his word to ignore the needs in our lives or the needs of people's lives in Metro Washington, D.C., to pretend like they don't exist. No, God is calling us to press in to Jesus in our own lives with all our needs and to spread the good news of Jesus right where we live in Metro Washington, D.C. And as we do, to not ignore 3.2 billion people who are living and dying with little to no knowledge of him. He's calling us to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all the nations. It's what we tell each other every single week. It's why we're here. So I want to help us today think about, okay, what does that look like practically? For us to live, to make disciples of all the nations. And I just want to encourage you to start right where you and I live, So here are three simple ways you and I can live today, tomorrow morning, and the next day, and the next day, this week, and the next week, right here, how we can obey this command, this commission to make disciples of all the nations. We can start right where we live by praying for the spread of the gospel to all nations, particularly the unreached. Do you realize you can be a part of what God is doing in the middle of the red anytime from anywhere. Through prayer, you can join with God in what he's doing around the world. You can do that before you get up out of bed in the morning. I've shared with you before the Joshua Project app. Download it. Unreached of the day. Pray for an unreached people group during the day. It's so simple. Just download. We spend so many 
Minutes, hours of our lives wasted on things that don't matter on these screens. Just spend 60 seconds praying for the Sunri people of Bangladesh, 356,000 of them, 0.0% evangelical. No gospel-believing people among the Sunri, most of them totally unreached Hindu. So just to spend 60 seconds praying for the Sunri, joining with what God's doing in the red. Here's another tool, stratus.earth, you can go to. Shows the countries of the world, ranked with data according to the spiritual and physical needs in each of those countries. Like sit down alone or with your family before a meal or before bedtime or in the morning, whatever works best. Pull up one of these countries. Let's go to, let's go to uh, Somalia. Here, you can zoom in on Somalia and once you do, you can find out all kinds of information about Somalia, needs in Somalia. You've got prayer points for Somalia. If you zoom in right here, you can see there's a little video you can click that will lead you. Just pray for a couple minutes for Somalia. In fact, let's, let's do that right now. So all across all of our locations, let's pretend like we're clicking on that right now. And let's, let's do this. Watch this video. And as you do, pray. Let's pray for Somalia. Do not underestimate what we just did. To the extent which you actually prayed for Somalia, like God has ordained our prayers to be a means by which he pours out his grace and his mercy on the nations. Do we believe that? Because if we do, that'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we pray. Change the way we raise our kids. Raise your kids to pray like this for the nations. Show them this is what Christianity is. We want the glory of Jesus among the nations. It's what we pray for, kids. This is what mom and dad are passionate about. We want the name of our king to be known in places where they need his love and they need his grace and they need his mercy. And we believe when we pray, it matters. Amen. And it does. So uh, go, to the, go to the Middle East with me. Last week, I sent out a prayer request on uh, my social media channels just asking people to pray for two brothers who had been imprisoned and beaten in the Middle East. And people started praying. I got word later these brothers, one, had stayed faithful to the gospel and were sharing it with others, other prisoners, and then had the opportunity to share it with leaders in very high positions. And as they did, as people were praying, the very men who were arrested and imprisoned and beat these brothers in Christ, those very men ended up arranging their release. And today, those men are back home with their church and their families. It actually matters when we pray. You believe this, it'll change the way you live. Functionally, we're living like we don't believe that. Let's just be honest. How, how much is this infusing our day? Pray for the spread of the gospel to all the nations. Our global outreach team puts together a prayer guide that has all throughout the year, one week every week throughout the year, pray for different missionaries who've gone out from our church family, partners we have, different places around the world. I can share with you later how you can get that sent to you. But you can do this right now, this week, every day. We should pray for the spread of the gospel to all nations, particularly the unreached. Then second, to give for the spread of the gospel to all nations, particularly the unreached. We won't spend a ton of time here because we talked about biblical giving a couple of weeks ago. But I do want to encourage you that when you give to our church family, you are giving to the spread of the gospel to all nations, particularly the unreached. We just encourage you. 
So, yeah, you, you see headlines, for example, of uh, Russia and Ukraine right now. What you won't see in those headlines is that your giving has led to a church plant in Crimea where a pastor is now faithfully proclaiming the gospel in Russia. He's facing continual pressure from the government to use his preaching, his platform to advocate for war. He's standing strong at great risk to his life, his family, his church, and you are coming alongside him. In Iran, you're training pastors who are working among the nearly 125 million Farsi speakers, not just in Iran, but in Afghanistan and Tajikistan. You're training pastors in Nepal who are planting churches in the majority Hindu as well as Tibetan regions of that country. You're doing the same in South Central India where pastors we're helping train are facing intense persecution right now. In the UAE, United Arab Emirates, you're supporting ministry on over 20 different university campuses where the gospel is spreading among college students from nations who, from uh, college students who come from nations across the Middle East. In Kazakhstan, you're providing resources and theological training to over 500 pastors amidst flooding in Pakistan. Your giving has helped over 2,000 families with essential needs for food and sanitation, all in the name of Jesus, including a number of pastors who lost their homes in that flooding. You, your giving is ministering specifically to children and families with special needs in a very unreached part of Central Asia near there. I could go on and on. I haven't even talked about how you're giving, supporting missionaries in Middle Eastern countries and India and Kazakhstan and Haiti and Cambodia and Senegal and Thailand and Germany and Malaysia. You have opportunities to give every week through our church family for the spread of the gospel to all the nations, particularly the unreached. And if you ever want to give over and above your normal giving, specifically to needs like this, you can always do that through our care fund that's designated specifically for urgent spiritual and physical needs in the world. Why has God put us in one of the wealthiest places to ever exist on planet Earth? He has not done it so that we can spend all our lives getting stuff that's not going to matter in the end. He has given us wealth for the spread of his worldwide worship, for the spread of his glory among the nations. God, open our eyes to realize this is what we are here to live live for, to give for the spread of the gospel to the nations, particularly the unreached. And then third, so all this, just starting, you can do all this right now, go for the spread of the gospel to all nations, particularly the unreached. At which point you might say, wait a minute, so if I live here, starting right where I live, how can I go here for the spread of the gospel to all nations, particularly the unreached? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to think about this. For these disciples in Matthew 28, this mission started in Jerusalem for them, right where they lived. Just like it starts in Metro Washington, D.C. for us, right where we live. Think about Acts chapter 2 for them. When all kinds of people from all kinds of nations were gathered in Jerusalem, and these disciples were sharing the gospel with them. Then think about us where all kinds of people from all kinds of nations have come to this city. We have the opportunity to share the gospel with the nations right outside our front door. I love taking Uber and Lyft rides in our city because I almost always, I'd say 90 plus percent of the time, find myself sharing the gospel with someone, not just from another nation, but so often from one of these places that are red on the map whom God has brought here. I think about Muhammad from Pakistan, had an opportunity to share with last week. God has brought the nations to us, so let's share the gospel with the nations around us. Here's the way I would put it. Go and let's make disciples of the nations 
here. So the nations God has brought here. And then for the nations from here. I know you can't read that, but you get the point. Of the nations here, for the nations from here. Here's what I mean by by that last part. Uh, Let me just give you a picture. I met a college student the other day. She was so passionate about the spread of the gospel to the nations. I just oozed out of her. I was like, where did you get this fire? And she said, the person who led me to Jesus told me this is what it means to follow Jesus. And I thought, that's it. God, help us to, to lead people to Jesus. And no matter who they are or where they're from, lead them to become disciple makers among the nations. God, help us not to lead people to become nominal, cultural, come to church and sit Christians. That's not Christianity. God, help us to lead people to become global, radical, give your life to reach the nations, Christians, because this is what it means to follow Jesus, to live to see disciples made among the nations. So I I want you to see a video. Try to connect some dots here that Radical recently put out about the protests that you may have seen, the news headlines in Iran. So it's a longer video, but I want you to watch it with me, and then I want to connect the dots with what we're talking about here and the mindset shift that needs to happen in our Christian lives. If we believe, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what we say to each other every week, that we are disciple makers among the nations, then these are things that concern us. And not just some of us, like all of us. We want to be in tune with what's happening among the nations. We want to pray and live accordingly because this is what it means to follow Jesus. Starting right here where we live, to pray in light of these things, to give in light of these things, and to go right here in light of these things far from us. And then, so follow this, we start living like this here, and then we continue living like this wherever God leads, which may be here or maybe anywhere else in the world. So as long as we're in the green, then God's calling all of us to do all these things, pray, give, go, right here in the green for the spread of the gospel to the nations. And then, doesn't it just make sense if there are three billion people who have little to no knowledge of the gospel, that at some point God might call some of us from the green to go to the red? Think Acts 13, when the church at Antioch was worshiping and praying And the Spirit of God set apart, said to Saul and Barnabas, you two guys, I'm setting you apart to go where the gospel hasn't gone. And the church gathered around them and sent them out. This is what we mean when we talk about being a church of biblical mission. It means we help each other live like this here in the green. And then if or when God calls this person or that person that we come alongside them and help them discern. Okay, is God calling you? If so, when, where, how? And we help you go to the red in different ways. That could play out in uh, short-term ways. Going to the red, we have 
dozens of opportunities in our church family over the next year for you to go to the red for a week or two and be a part of the spread of the gospel there. And, and we had a team just get back this last week from the heart of the Middle East sharing the gospel in the red. Then there are opportunities to go what we call midterm, so longer than a week or two, for a month or two, or for a year or two. College students, we encourage you before or at least right after you graduate college, at some point before you move on from college, that you would spend at least a summer, if not a semester or a year or two, somewhere in the world where the gospel hasn't gone in this unique time in your life. Others of you may have jobs with that kind of flexibility. I think of Elena, whose job flexibility made it possible for her to spend a couple of months overseas overseas working with a church for the spread of the gospel there. And others, Grace and Suji and Linda, who are following in her lead. I think about retirees who have that flexibility. When you're living to see disciples made among the nations, it changes the way you view retirement and your plans for your life. This is following Jesus. It means an openness to go short-term, mid-term, or long-term. For an extended period of time, if not for a lifetime, to the red. So I want to share with you one more video directly from a member of this church family. We'll call her Heather, who is sitting right where you are one Sunday morning a few years ago when God's Spirit spoke to her heart and said, I'm calling you to the red. And I want you to hear her story in her own words. And as you do, I just want to pray that God might do this. If there's this many people in the red who've never heard, and this many followers of Jesus in this church, Surely God's calling some of us to go. So here's the question. One, praise God for Heather and his grace in her. My question for you is, are you willing to do that with no strings attached? Are you willing to go short-term, midterm or long-term where the gospel has not gone. I, I certainly don't know if Jesus is leading you to go to the red, but I do know, based on the words we all know, that following Jesus means putting no limits on where or how you will make disciples among the nations. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you signed up for following Jesus. This is what we live for, to see disciples made in all the nations. It's why he's left us here, to know him and to lead others to know him among the nations, starting right where we live 
and continuing wherever he might lead. So as we close today, I want to give us two specific ways to respond. First, if you desire, as a follower of Jesus, to grow in your praying or giving or going right here where you live, if God has spoken to your heart today, and either you're not praying and giving or going in these ways, or you want to grow in deeper ways and how this looks, what this looks like in your life, in your family, then I want to ask you to text mission right now to this number, 571-581-6297. Like, do it right now. Don't just hear what God is saying to your heart. Do it. And what will happen is our global outreach team will send you resources to encourage you, to help you grow in your praying and giving and going to see disciples made among the nations. This is an invitation for you to say to your church, family, help me grow in these ways. Send me some ways that I can think through in my life, my family, to do this more. So you can do that right now. And then second, I've prayed that God would speak today to some of our hearts and say, I may be calling you to the red. And I I even use that language intentionally because you don't have to make that decision on your own. We as a church family want to come alongside you, help you discern that. But if you sense God may be saying, yes, short-term or mid-term or maybe long-term, then just as soon as we're finished today at all of our locations, I want to invite you to make a beeline to the lobby where there are tables at all of our locations and global outreach team members who are there who would love to just pray with you and help you start thinking about initial steps. They are not going to sign you up to fly out tomorrow to the Middle East. There's so much to pray through, but that's, would you take that first step, short-term, mid-term, long-term, go and talk with someone about that. We, we do this periodically throughout the year. This is one of those Sundays where I want to call every member of this church family to pray right now. God, are you calling me? If you're married or you have family, you're calling me and my family to go somewhere beyond where I live now for the spread of the gospel. Just ask the question of the God who you have trusted with your life. And then say, if you are, I will go. This is not like a mature statement of, for the most mature Christian. This is elementary Christianity. Here's my life. Are you calling me to go? If so, show me where I'll go. And I just want to lead us to pray this to God right now, realizing in a fresh way today what these words mean that we say to each other every week. They mean we don't live just to come and sit in church services and move on with our lives. We live to see disciples made among the nations. So will you bow your heads with me? And specifically for followers of Jesus, 
all across this room and other locations. Can we just pray that right now? I'll voice it out loud, but you just to say in your heart for all of us to ask this question right now, God, are you calling me to go somewhere beyond where I live now for the spread of the gospel? Are you calling my family to do this? I think about kids all across our church gatherings today. God, are you calling them to go somewhere beyond here for the spread of the gospel in the world? And we say together before you right now, God, in this service of worship, here we are, send us. If you're calling us in this way, we will go. God, I just pray, I pray that by your Holy Spirit right now, you would speak to hearts all across this gathering in a supernatural way. And you would give courage for people to take the first step in exploring what that might look like. Even as we all pray, God, we want to live to see disciples made among the nations. Help us to pray toward that end. Help us to give toward that end. Help us to go toward that end. Here, there, wherever you call us to go. Help us to live for this. In our lives, our families, and God, we pray for our church family. Help us to be a church that is working by your grace, for your glory, to see disciples made among all the nations. Thank you for inviting us into your global purpose, oh God. We want to live for what is most important to you, what is going to matter for the next 10 trillion years. And we are looking forward to the day when every nation, tribe, tongue, and people will gather around your throne and give you the glory you are due. Help us to live for that purpose today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
like the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries is looking for those who will partner with us in this ministry of making a path straight for the Lord directly to the hearts of listeners. If you would like to partner with us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver the saving grace of our Lord to others through volunteering, through prayer, and through donations, please call us at 602-866-8999. The following program is called Equipping the Saints. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundstedt, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. Well, what is it that motivates you to do the things that you do? What motivates you on a daily basis when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, whether it's school, whether it's with your family, whatever it is, whether it's free time, what motivates you to do what you do every day? You see, the Bible reveals that for those who have not come to Christ yet, that their motivation is simply their own desires. Before I came to Christ, I lived my life for myself. I just did what I felt was the best thing, and I lived my life for myself. Well, what about those who know Christ? What motivates you to do what you do? Concerning how you interact with people, what's your motivation and how you conduct yourself every day? Well, ultimately, we see in Scripture our motivation should be to please the Lord Jesus Christ in our relationship with Him. But yet there are things within the Word of God that help us understand even more so what we should be motivated to do each day and why. We're going to be looking at how to live in light of the return of Jesus Christ. So would you turn your Bibles to Second Peter? And we are rapidly coming to a close in our study in Second Peter. And so we'll be praying for what the Lord would have us look at next. But we're going to be looking at Second Peter. And just to review the context for those who haven't been with us, and just for those who have, the Apostle Peter is writing to those who have a like faith, a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers in Jesus Christ. And this book is simply about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about a real relationship with Jesus. And if you might remember that in chapter 1, Peter made it clear that we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. And we have His precious and magnificent promises. The Lord God opened our hearts to the reality of our sin by sharing the gospel with us. He convicted us and called us unto a relationship with Him. And He uses His Word to grow us in respect to salvation. We have everything we need for life and godliness. And within that, we are to then act upon the truth that God has brought forth and obey Him in the context of faith. We saw within this book in chapter 1 that we should be manifesting the characteristics of a real relationship with Jesus. We should be excelling in our moral excellence, our knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. 
And Peter made it clear that if these qualities are yours, you possess all of these and they're increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, when God's word is working in our hearts, it's going to manifest in these areas and in the other areas we see in Scripture. And so with that in mind, he shares these truths. And then he says, I want to remind you of these things. I want to stir you up by way of reminder, stir you up. And he then goes to explain an experience that Peter had on the Mount of Transfiguration, a real experience, a real God experience. The Lord was transfigured before him, but yet he said, we have the word made more sure. We have something that is more sure. We have the written word of God, which we do well to pay heed or attention to. You see, really we saw that word means we do beautifully to pay attention to the word of God. And from that, he says, it's just that it's God's word, that it didn't come from man, but men moved by God spoke from him, right? And so in chapter 1, we see that we have everything we need for a relationship with Jesus through the true knowledge of him by his word. And then chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Second Peter are really about threats to our relationship with Jesus. Yes, you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and you can be sidetracked. There are things that can pull us away where we don't even realize we're not walking rightly with the Lord. And so Peter reveals in chapter 2 that there were false prophets in the past relating to Israel, but there will be false teachers among you. And he talks about them, those who would secretly introduce things. They would twist and mold their words. They would use believers. They would go after the unstable souls. And we saw that Peter identified them. He said they were springs without water. They appeared to be those who would bring forth gushing that water, but yet you get nothing. It seems like you're going to get what you need for your relationship with Jesus, but ultimately what you get steers you after your own desires. It's very subtle. And so Peter warns us about those people, those people who pose as though they will feed you spiritually. This is chapter 2, and you can read through that on your own time. They have known the truth of Jesus Christ, but internally they have turned away. Now, they never came to faith, but they've known the truth. They've turned away, and now they're manifesting their own sinful lust by deceiving and reveling over their deceptions within the body of Christ. And so these greedy fakers on their way, as we would see to hell, the apostates, although they knew the right way, have turned away, and they are a danger to the body of Christ. We're to beware. And then he moves into chapter 3, continuing those thoughts, saying, hey, this is the second letter I'm reminding you of these things, that you should pay attention to what the prophets had spoken. You should pay attention to what the Lord Jesus spoke through the apostles, knowing something, knowing that in the last days mockers would come. Mockers would come with their mocking. And they would try to deceive believers by lessening the word of God or by outright mocking them. We have an example here in chapter 3. And that leads us to where we're at in our passage. So would you turn your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 15. And now again, as I've shared, the whole chapter is one unit. And we wouldn't have a Mother's Day lunch, would you? We'd be here all day long if we were doing the whole portion. So what I want to do is I want to read up through it what we've already seen in chapter 1, verse 1, up to verse 11. And then we'll, that's where we're going to study, but I'll read through 11 through 15. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments 
of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And remember, we saw verse 3. It's really not just know, but knowing. There's a lot of other versions that translate it that way. You remember what God's people said before, the prophets and the apostles, and then knowing something, knowing something. He says in verse 3, knowing, or literally knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. That's the same guys you read about in chapter 2. That's really what it is. We see the description of them in chapter 2. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. This is what we saw last time, that there would be those who come and who mock the word of God, saying basically, hey, where is the promise of his coming? He hasn't come yet. Everything's the same. The world just keeps going the same as it's been. And so they point you to your own observation to deceive you to not trust in the promises of God. Yes, the world has continued the same, but that doesn't mean that God isn't going to keep his word, because he has so already. Notice what he says here. He says in verse 5, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at one time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He says when they maintain this, and we saw this last time, it willingly escapes their notice. They deliberately reject the reality that by God's word, he spoke the creation to existence. Light be and light was. And that by God's word in the past, he brought a flood judgment upon the earth. And yet he has promised this promise. And by his word, he's going to keep his promise. That's the implication. And notice he says here, through which the world was destroyed at one time, verse 6, being flooded with water, verse 7, but the present heavens and earth, that's what we're in right now, the present heavens and earth, by his word, God keeps his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And then our passage. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Tremendous passage in which God tells us what is going to happen in the future. No one knows what's going to happen apart from what God declares. And I've already shared the first few verses where we saw that we should be remembering God's word, that there would be mockers who come. They would be mocking, but they ignore the word of God that God brought forth before, and they ignore the reality that this present heavens and earth will ultimately be destroyed. They willingly ignore that. We see that back in verse 7. But the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
We saw this last time, and just in review, although the mockers say, hey, it's never going to come. Christ isn't going to come. There's not going to be any judgment. Nothing's going to happen. It's all going the same. Peace and safety. That day will come. This present heavens and earth, what we are living in right now, is being increasingly stored up for God's judgment. And notice what he says in the end of verse 7. The day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You see, God hates sin. God is a holy God. And God was gracious to send his son Jesus to die for our sins. But he will come again in glory and in judgment. For those who reject him, it'll be judgment. For those who have received him, it's going to be glory when he comes. And so there is, as we saw last time, a judgment day. There is a judgment day. I'm not going to read all the passages we looked at last week. You can get the CD and look at those. But we recognize it is appointed man wants to die, and then the judgment. Scripture reveals there is clearly a judgment day. We looked at all those passages in Matthew 10 and 11 and 12 where Jesus speaks of in the day of judgment. He speaks of that specifically. One of those passages, Matthew Chapter 12, he says, the good man, verse 35, out of the treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified. By your words you shall be condemned. We saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who then used his wisdom and his time to do some things that weren't good. Read through Ecclesiastes. And he saw that it was all vanity. It was all worthless. He went after every pleasure there could be, basically. And he saw it was all worthless. In the very end of what he says, he says the conclusion, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commands or commandments because this applies to every person. Why? For God will bring every act into judgment, even which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. There is a judgment day. We saw this last time, Acts chapter 17, that He has appointed judgment by the man, by proving, raising Him from the dead, Acts 17. Christ Jesus is the judge. And therefore He declares to all men everywhere that you should repent. Why should you repent? Why does God tell you and I to repent? Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And as we'll see in a moment, he doesn't want you to be judged for your sin. He wants you to be pardoned and forgiven that you could be with him forever and ever in glory. So there is a judgment day. But we saw that this judgment day is also associated, last time we looked at it, we need to look at this because it's all connected, but we saw that this judgment is associated with the day of the Lord. Look down in verse 10. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. We saw that that the earth's going to be burned up, the elements, the stoichia, the ABCs of this universe, the I think it's speaking of the molecules, by the way, it's all going to get burned up, it's all going to go away. He says it's going to happen, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. How does a thief come? comes when you don't expect it, comes suddenly, right? And so we see that's going to happen. And we talked about this last time, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but we talked about the day of the Lord. You see, man is having his day now. Man gets to do whatever he wants and can get away with it for an entire lifetime. 
There's some initial consequence, certain things like that, but gets away with it. But God will have his day where he takes care of sin and makes things right. It's the day of the Lord that is prophesied throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the day of the Lord in which Christ will ultimately culminate that in coming back. And there are things that are associated with the day of the Lord, which are a new heavens and a new earth. The old earth as we see being destroyed and then a new heavens and a new earth. Let's look at one passage about the day of the Lord. We looked at a lot last time, but let's review looking at one. Turn to Isaiah chapter 13. We're going to look a little later at Isaiah 65 and 66, which is really wonderful, by the way. You see, Isaiah is about the restoration of the created order. Restoration either through judgment or through salvation, through the servant, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. You see, the promise is there. It's going to happen. And people are saying, bad guys, oh, it's not going to happen. Just live your life. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But the reality is what God says. Isaiah 13, 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt, and they will be terrified. You know, Hebrews talks about a terrifying expectation of judgment, by the way. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look upon one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel and with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars that have in their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. God is allowing sin to go by right now. He is allowing sin to go by. He is allowing sin to go by. He's allowing people to do horrible things, by the way. We wonder, where's God when these bad things happen? Well, God is and has promised to deal with sin and sinners and wickedness. But back in our passage, notice God is patient. He is gracious. He is unwilling for any to perish. Back in our review here in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Second Peter. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. The bad guys, hey, they willingly let the truth of God escape their notice. But you, believers, don't let this escape your notice. Don't let it go by. Don't let it go by. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as, or like, not equivalent, but like a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. He's sharing this just very basic point that God is separate from time. God created time. He has stepped into time. In the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son. He does interact in the time that He has created, but He is separate from time. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. And then notice what He says. And let's keep reading. The Lord is not slow or hesitant about His promise, as some count hesitancy. The mockers say, hey, he's never going to come. It's never going to happen. God is not slow or hesitant about bringing his judgment on sin. He's not slow at all. But notice what he says. But is patient or long-suffering towards who? Towards you. That's you and I. Not wishing or desiring for any to perish. The term perish means to be ruined in the context. It's ruined in the context of judgment forever. The lake of fire. He doesn't want that. He takes no pleasure 
in the death of the wicked. But he says, but for all to come to repentance. Tremendous statement. The only reason Christ hasn't come in judgment is because He is saving people. He is patient. And I am so thankful for that because I lived 29 years of my life in rebellion to God, pretending to be a Christian. And God was gracious to convict me of my sin and save me. He could have come before that and I would have been judged and I would have deserved His judgment. But He is patient towards us. He's patient towards you and I. Not willing, he doesn't desire any to perish. God is a gracious God. We're going to read and we have read about his judgment, these horrible things. Yet, he doesn't want it to happen. But he's a just God and he will bring it about. But first, there is salvation. There is salvation. He is patient, long-suffering towards you. But if you reject him, you will be eternally punished. Let me share a few passages. Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus says in verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. Well, that sounds like a lot, but what does God say? Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you to fear him, the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, fear him. The reality is we need to fear God. He has the authority and he will deal with sin. But he's gracious. He sent his son Jesus. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, we're all sinful. And God sent his son Jesus. He lived the perfect life. He took on human flesh. He became like us yet without sin. He lived the perfect life, and he bore our sin in his body on the cross. The penalty of sin is death, and Jesus died for all of us. And God doesn't ask anything from you to do to be saved, but to turn to him from your sin, acknowledging it, and believe in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, repenting, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I believe that you died for my sins, and he will forgive you, and you will escape the judgment that is coming. Because God is a righteous God, like any other judge. We've seen unrighteous judges in this world. We've seen somewhat righteous judges. Righteous judges are those who implement the appropriate punishment for the crimes. And yet we have a pardon in Jesus Christ, because we deserve it. But we have a pardon. The day of the Lord will come. It will come. But yet God is patient, not willing for any to perish. Look at verse 10 back in Second Peter chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to read into it again from verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, to, to change your mind about your sinfulness and to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But notice what he says, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The day of the Lord is over a period of time, but there's a lot of events that happen within that. There are a lot of things that happen. It is Yahweh's day. It is Yahweh's day where he is going to destroy this present heavens and earth. Folks, the first creation is corrupted with sin. And Jesus Christ makes us right through faith in him.
now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.